0: I was just struck by that v- line in that song, if our God is with us, who can stand against us? Hold that thought. Um, this morning, some of us are going to talk. Somebody was really said to me on the way in this morning, oh, it's the Von Trapp family. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. Um But we're going to give you a little snapshot this morning um, of some key things that happened in our family roughly around the summertime last year uh, and how, although we were individuals in that, God had a bigger plan and how he used that. And it's kind of an emerging story and an unfolding story. And John first spoke to Dave and I about autumn time and said, you know, do you fancy... Telling us about some of these things, shall you share it? And it's kind of taken this long. Uh, and uh, as we've waited, more things have kind of been added to it, really. Um, this is the most technical part of the kit today. It's about as technical as I get my, my alarm clock, so I can just keep my eye on the time. It started for me in May last year when I was running and. I was listening to some worship on my iPod. And that's not unusual for me. But this particular time, I felt like something was starting to wake up in me spiritually. I felt like there was a refreshing and almost like an anticipation growing in me for something else, something more. And it reminded me a bit of when, you know, when it's going to rain and you can almost smell it when the air changes and there's that damp, sort of fresh smell. And it felt like that. And I felt like God was saying to me, there is something more to come. Something is coming. Um, and I, when I got back to the house, I had to go out in the garden because I couldn't, I didn't quite know what to do with myself really. But I knew it was the start of um, God working in me and the Holy Spirit. Uh, beginning to do something. One of the songs I've been listening to, the words were, he's come like the rain, showers on a barren plain. And I started to think, that's me actually, I feel pretty barren and dry. Uh, and I started to ask myself this question, have I settled for less in my life uh, than I should have done in my life, in my family's life, uh, those that I care about? And I was thinking back to the 1980s, uh, when I first joined the church, when I became a Christian, and there was almost like an edginess about going to a meeting because you never quite knew what was going to break out, what was going to happen. And I think we're starting to see a bit of that again now. But it was actually quite a scary thing sometimes just to turn up and not quite know. But there was an expectation of the Holy Spirit moving of seeing stuff um, begin to happen. And that that came back to me and I thought, that's the stuff I expected to see. It's 28 years since I became a Christian and um, joined this church. And I haven't seen all that I expected to see. I haven't seen that work out in, in my life yet. And I felt like somewhere I'd lost sight of what I felt I came here for. Um, something about the truth of my identity in God and what I should be walking in. Now, Dave bought me a book for my birthday last year, which some of you will have heard of, some of you may have read or thought, oh, no, not that book again. Um, It was Spiritual Java. And I I liked it particularly because it had little chunks of uh, reading. It wasn't a big, great thing. And I became like that... um, dripping tap wife, uh, except I was reading this book and everywhere we went, I took it in my handbag, I took it to the coffee shop, we took it to the park and I could see them all going, oh no, she's got that book with her again, you know. Um, But I felt it was provoking and it was kind of adding to me some of the things that had already started to stir Um, and I started to think, have I accommodated things in my life? Have I started to put up with things? And are the things in me that I'm now working around that once I would have thought, hang on a minute, that's not, that's not right, like Lucy was saying. Um, have I settled for less? And one of the uh, provocations for me from that book uh, is this one. It says, "Okay, <laughs> um, our minds stray into natural thinking our faith erodes so subtly that we don't notice it happening. And little by little, we begin to think practically, leaning on natural wisdom, not on kingdom reality. And that set me thinking, it kind of just hit me right here, and I thought, so the problem starts with the way that I'm thinking. And then my thinking starts to inform my experience of what I expect. And then I start to maybe have a lesser picture of God than what I should. And we know that it says in Romans about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so I started to think that's kind of where I need to begin. I need my thinking to change. There was another little quote which made me smile. And it said, um, to participate in the awesome work of the kingdom we can't casually row 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 our boat gently down the stream we've got to run and something with me was kind of thinking yeah i was running at the time but um you know it says there's a verse in habakkuk which it says you know write the vision put it on the tablets and run with it and i felt like th- th- there's a momentum that i'm wanting that i haven't been fully living until now And I started to think, you know, what have I accommodated? When have I been sitting in the boat bobbing along when actually maybe there was something else? Am I expecting to see the supernatural? Am I expecting to see healing? Am I expecting to see breakthrough for long-term battles? Um, That's how it's meant to be. And it took me back to the 80s when we had John Wimber who would you know, ministering a lot of that stuff. And he called it doing the stuff. And I thought, yeah, I want to do the stuff. I want to see the stuff happening. Um, So are there things in my life that I was making room for or starting to work around? Now, at this point, we may have a little clip of film. What this thing in the hall is? Hello? Is anyone here? Wasn't here before. Anybody? It's a stump. I can see it's a stump, but what is it doing here in the hall? Can't we just move it or something? Well, I mean, I... how did it even get here in the first place? Well, it just kind of appeared. Well, it did, no, it's somebody brought it here. for goodness sake. say. Let's just sort it out. I can't do or or with deal them. with it. Can't you chop it up or give it away or? Somebody who's got a wood fire or something?
1: Actually, I think it's taken root.
0: (laughs) Okay, that's the next part which is coming. So, are there things that we've just started to work around in our halls <laughs> or in our lives <laughs> um, that we start to, you know, make room for and accommodate? Uh, Toby's next.
2: Hello. Um, yeah, so some of you might remember um, about this time last year, I gave a testimony about how God really kind of broke into my life and change, changed my life completely. It was like, it's quite a life-changing event. Um, and, you know, kind of a lot of the stuff that I'd been living before was completely changed. And I was just really excited to be living for God and, you know, seeing God's kingdom. And, and, and that summer, I was kind of uh, looking to go back to uni for my final year. And I was kind of saying, yeah, God, I'm really excited about going back. I really want to see your kingdom come. And um, it was kind of around about the same time that the mum was talking about when she had that um, that hunger to see these 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 things happen, the doing the stuff that actually I started to feel the opposite of what um, what I wanted to feel. You know, I was I wanted to be you know excited, but actually it was quite a sudden thing. I just started to feel really scared and had loads of anxiety, and I had this kind of constant onslaught of. Um, negative thoughts and negative thinking and I uh, had physical symptoms I wasn't I wasn't sleeping um, and it was just really really desperate time and I was like where does this come from you know this is not what I want to see this is not what I was expecting and and so like in like in the video I had a kind of stump in my life that I wasn't expecting came out of nowhere and um, yeah just was going against what I wanted and, and what I wanted to see God doing in my life so yeah, that was, that was quite a desperate situation, but actually it was the, the beginning of um, a process in my life where God has really started to work and shown me things that, um, that need to go. And, yeah, so we, I'm going to leave it there, but we'll come back to this, this story and, yeah, see what happens.
0: Okay, we'll leave Toby in his desperate state. <laughs> um, So really some strategies um, around that time. Um, Is it part two of the film? Yeah, sorry. Okay, so things don't seem to change. Um, Things can seem immovable and hard to shift. Um, Yeah, things were not good for Toby and we witnessed that as a family. But in the summer, before that happened, I remember reading this, another one of my little provocations, and it puzzled me at the time. And it said this, when we give thanks in the midst of adverse circumstances, a difficulty that was intended to undermine your faith, the weapon that the enemy meant to dislodge you from your divine purposes is put into your hands and becomes the very thing that brings you more fully into that purpose. So the enemy is destroyed by the very thing he intended to use for our destruction. So I remember reading that and thinking, that's a bit the wrong way round, really. We don't normally find that we're thankful when stuff's going wrong and that that could actually be used to push us further into God. Um, And things were quite scary, and it almost felt like fear was potentially taking root. And it's interesting when something happens to one member of your family, it then starts to affect the others. So we were in a situation that we would prefer not to be in. But that's suggesting that we position ourselves thankfully. Now, as a church, um, we've been encouraged time and time again to be thankful, give testimony, give thanks. And that's when things have gone right. <laughs> and we find that quite hard. We need a lot of encouragement. But this is suggesting that we take a thankful position all the time. Um, John reminded us from James the other week, consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds because this is the testing of your faith and it develops perseverance. So that kind of seemed to add up and it seemed to add to it really. I was also remembering a word and a picture that Penny bought. I don't know whether she... Told everyone, but it was maybe in a prayer meeting or something, where she said she had been walking in Lapland in the spring and um, they'd been walking along the grass and they'd seen these sticks coming out of the ground. And she said to the guide, what, what are those sticks doing there? And he said, They're there as markers when the snow comes. And she felt God speak to her, and it's something that we held on to as a family. Because when the snow came and we couldn't see where we were walking, and we couldn't see where we'd just been, we could actually point to different testimonies in our lives and different things that God had done, and hold on to those, like the sticks coming out of the snow. And it was something about um, declaring our position, if our God is for us, who can stand against us? Um, Declaring my position as one, as a child of God in authority over these things. And out of necessity, we were pushed into this situation which we never saw coming, really. It's not natural to take a thankful position when things are hard. But it's, you know, we, we learned to do that. The alternative, which I've done many times, is to pray from a place of doubt oh, please help me cope, please help me get through, how am I going to manage? Which actually becomes quite problem-focused. And when I give my attention to what hasn't happened yet, or what I'm still waiting for, my faith doesn't particularly grow, and my hope doesn't grow. And I can easily forget when life is hard what God has done. So I need to remind myself recount and say what his goodness is in my life and when he's provided and what he's done. And I'm going to ask Toby um, to come and tell us a few practical ways that he did that that were quite transforming for him.
2: Yeah, so um, as I kind of encountered this difficult time and I wasn't expecting it, I, it was just out of the blue. Um, I, I really feel God gave me such a determination to just keep persevering and push through and to see breakthrough. And as mom said, one of the ways of doing that for me was uh, just giving thanks, even when I didn't feel like it. Um, and practically, what I would do is I'd you know, write down uh, verses from scripture that would, I knew were true, that were promises from God, and I would put them around my room. So I was just forced to look at them, forced to uh, keep my attention on, the, on these truths instead of, you know, the negative things that were going on in my mind. And and actually, that just gives you such a um, truth-filled perspective that when, you know, you can't help but look at God's truth, it's just around you all the time. Um, and, yeah, and just declaring it over myself and just saying, Oh, you know, this is the truth, e- even if I don't feel it, because it's one of the hardest things to do when you, you're feeling a lie, and it feels so true to actually take that stand and say, no, this isn't true. But I believe that it, when we do that, when when there is that, Um, that opposition, and we still take a stand for the truth, you know, that decision resonates for eternity. And, you know, I really do believe that. And, yeah, and just another thing I did was just ask God to speak to me daily, just to to give me his word in, like, everyday circumstances. So, um, you know, to wake up and say, God, what what are you saying today? And I'd I'd keep my eyes open for his word. And um, one example of this was... uh, We were, as a family, we were on our way to a wedding in the car. And um, it was probably, I was probably in one of my lowest points at that time. And we were just praying, and I was saying, God, speak to me, just help me out here. And um, right in that moment, uh, it was actually Peter who noticed a guy going by on a bike. And he said, Wait a minute, that guy's got a psalm on his back. Um, And and so we were like, oh, let's catch him up, and we caught him up. and It was true. Like On his back, it said um, Psalm 25, verses 1 to 3, um, which is kind of crazy. And so we looked up the psalm and read it out, and it was, it was such a direct um, word. It was like exactly what I was feeling at that moment. And I just felt God say to me, you know, I'm in this with you. You're not alone. I know exactly what you're going through. And as I read it, the, the anxiety just lifted. Uh, every, every negative thought just, just completely left, and I was just, I was just free. Um, and, and you know it was a constant thing, it kept coming back, but I just persevered and, and, and stuck with it. And yeah, as mom said, you know, I, I started to realize that this thing that, is, that had been intended to undermine my faith um, was actually becoming the very thing that was pushing me further into my destiny um and what, what was intended for harm was actually pushing me further into god's purposes for my life um and Peter has a story about about related to this um, particularly worship so
3: hi, um in case you get confused, I'm the one with blonde hair and glasses uh <laughs> yeah i was I thought I'd just share something um that I was going through thought well. it's it's related to what Toby was going through and his struggle, but it's kind of my experience over the last three months. And, um, yeah, it's it's very much to do with the the tools that you're given um, to overcome struggles and overcome spiritual battles um, that Toby was going through. And in particular, the tool that I felt was really useful was worship, and kind of just um, praising God. And, you know, it's hard. Um, Sometimes you don't feel like it, but Sometimes if you just worship, you know, that really causes anxiety to lift. And there was one particular time that I remember. Um, Toby was really struggling. And I was in my room. And I wasn't really worshipping as such. I was just playing guitar, just playing around with some chords. And Toby came in and just lay on the floor of my uh, bedroom. And completely out of nothing, it just turned into this completely spontaneous worship, um, time of worship. It was just incredible. We were just, you know, praising God, um, declaring truths over Toby's life and we were just, you know, for a long time doing this. And, you know, it was a hot summer's day, we had the window wide open, you know. Um, the neighbors were in the garden. It was really strange. And it was a very odd experience. Um, I think my parents were trying to sleep at the time, but <laughs> it was it was a really bizarre experience because I'd never done anything like that before, just worship in my own home. And, you know, the spirit really came and you know that really aided Toby in that time, and what was also I think key about that particular time was it was a turning point for me, so out of that, I kind of gained it was it was like a momentum which kind of spurred me on into um what I felt was a new area for me and what I felt that God had for me and I felt that as I kind of entered into this idea of worshipping and um you know doing that in my spare time, God opened up opportunities which seemed really strange, like one example I can think of was, I was just walking through school and someone came up to me and said, "Uh, do you want to do worship for the school assembly? (laughs) And that's just really bizarre because it's kind of, you know, worship isn't really what you would associate with school, but I I did it and it was, I really felt it was from God because it was so random and unexpected and there was, you know, and as a family we started to experiment with worship. You know, in our front room, we used to um, invite people around and kind of just um, have these times of worship, and I felt that really aided me and helped me, and, you know, just in our front room with a guitar. And so, I guess, like, the point of that is, is it's very related to the idea of what is meant to undermine your faith and dislodge you from your divine purpose actually brings you closer to it, because what happened was Toby was under this attack, and yeah, the enemy was trying to undermine him and um, dislodge him. But what that actually did was, through me, it brought me closer to my divine purpose and what I felt God had for me. And I just thought it was a really good example of how that comes about and sort of practically, yeah.
4: I'm not a Simmons. I feel that I don't fit into the Aryan race. um, I'm here anyway. Okay, um, I had the... I've had the pleasure of knowing Jeremy since he was just a baby, since he was born, which makes me feel really old now, um, and seen Jeremy grow up o- over the years. And I've always wanted to to hear how this story unfolds, particularly in the last few years of what Jeremy's been going through. And um, so we we had a had a go at unpacking what this what his testimony is. And so Jeremy's asked if I could help ask the same questions that I did before. So, um, Jeremy, you've struggled with some mental health difficulties since childhood. Now, this probably would surprise people, um, but can you describe what it was like up until the end of school?
5: Yeah, so um, to cut a long story short, um, basically in in about year three time when I was kind of in primary school, um, I was diagnosed with... OCD which stands for obsessive compulsive disorder and obviously a lot of people have an idea of what what they think it might involve You know, it's kind of people joke about it and stuff, but actually it's quite it's often quite misunderstood Um, And the effect it really had on me was that it um, It just Created this intense anxiety, you know inside of me this intense fear that if I didn't behave in a certain way if I didn't do things in a certain way uh, Something terrible would happen And it it revolved a lot around uh, illness and fear for my family, fear for my own safety. Um, And so I I became very um, sort of stuck in these patterns of thought, these patterns of behavior. Um, And so this was around year three time that people started to notice, and uh, um, my parents noticed and stuff. And and I was diagnosed. And, um, you know, primary school was, you know, there were ups and downs, but um, I'd say probably a really difficult time was during kind of year six. Um, when I was doing my SATs exams and it, it basically got so bad that the school asked me to leave, um, you know, for four months because I, I just couldn't, I couldn't work, I couldn't read. Um, and when I, when I say I couldn't read, it wasn't that I actually couldn't read, it was that when I tried to read, I would end up reading the same thing over and over again so many times, I just never made any progress through <laughs> what I was trying to read. Um, so I, I couldn't do any exams, I couldn't do anything really and I was basically everything ground to a halt. Um, Secondary school was a lot better, you know, it wasn't as much of a, a disruption, um, but yeah, there was still that anxiety bubbling under. So then you went off to, to university.
4: How did your OCD affect you while you were there?
5: Yeah, um, university it kind of started kicking off again, I guess. Um, I suppose gradually uh, throughout the first year and then, and then moving through into the, the second year and the final year. Um, it kind of got progressively worse. I think it wasn 't helped by the fact that i had I was living in my own room, so um i i wasn 't able to be held accountable as much um, and yeah it, it was very difficult to work you know, it was very, again the reading um, was a huge issue i couldn 't really read the books I needed to read. Um, I was incredibly stressed um, and yeah, I mean I was very good at hiding it you know people wouldn't wouldn 't be able to notice it. Um, because I think the fear of looking weird in public kind of overrode uh, the anxiety I was feeling. But nevertheless, you know, it was still there. And um, when I was on my own, it was very, very difficult. Um, you know, in my room at night, you know, it was really difficult. And um, work became became very hard, um, and I almost left on a number of occasions. Um, yeah. Uh, um, even during this difficult time at
4: university, you did see God's fingerprints on your life. Uh, looks like I see some of some of the things here you're not going to get. have time to explain to people. Um, so make sure you do ask Jeremy more about this stuff, but just give us a, the highlight.
5: Yeah, um, so I, I was never in any doubt that, um, well I, I was <laughs> actually uh, at certain points in doubt that I was meant to be at that uni, but a number of things happened that um, God used to illustrate to me that actually he, he had his hand on my life and that he had placed me in that university. Um, one that springs to mind is, you know, one of the situations when I was pretty certain that I was going to leave. You know, I had spoken to my parents I said, you know, I'm definitely going to leave. You know, this is it. I'm going to go back to my room. I'm going to email my professor and say, look, I can't do this anymore. This is impossible. Um... And I was completely 100% certain that this was what I was going to do. I'd come close on a number of occasions to leaving, and I thought, no, this is it's definitely the right thing to do. Um, and I went back to my room to send the email, and the internet was down, and it didn't come back on for the entire evening. Um, and so I thought, okay, fine, I'll leave it for a night. Um, and I, I woke up the next morning and, and signed on, and my internet came back on. Um, but this time, my professor had emailed me and said, uh, can you come to my office? I want to meet with you. So I went to his office and basically God spoke through him. Um, God just completely spoke into my situation and said, the guy used an illustration about um, you know, walking through mud in the Lake District and how um, you know, once you're in the middle of the mud, it's more important and it's far easier to, to carry on walking than it is to either go back or go around it. And that was exactly what I needed to hear at that time. And I thought, yeah, God, this is from you. Um, you placed me in, the, in this place.
4: So then you finished university and you moved back home. Did your
5: OCD follow you? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, basically, I it, yeah, it was still bad. I'm immensely grateful to God for bringing me through uh, my studies at uni. And, you know, for me, that's a miracle. Um, but nevertheless, when I, I left, I had all these plans about what I wanted to do. I wanted to do an MA. I wanted to continue my studies. Uh, but I just couldn't, basically. I couldn't. And to get the interview, to, to get onto the course, I would have needed to read all these books. Um, and it just wasn't going to happen. I, I wasn't in the right place. Um, so I, kind of, I decided to kind of put my life on hold, really, for a bit and try and sort out what was going on. Yeah. So you just got back from university. It should be the
4: world is your oyster, but yet you just feel so hemmed in by this condition. What was your response? What did you do?
5: Yeah, I mean, after speaking it through with a number of people, um, I decided to, to volunteer with Faith Action to get some focus and to give myself a, some experience and discipline. Um, I went to a GP and was referred for some cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, I, I basically realised that I couldn't continue to live like this. Um, as soon as I finished the, the therapy sessions, um, You know, I got some good advice, but it didn't really deal with the root. You know, the the issue still continued. Um, And I started helping out with youth stuff as well, which was very positive. Uh, Gave me a chance to serve. But really, I felt that at this point, I was rudderless. You know, I I felt that all my plans, um, all my purposes were being sidetracked and that I was kind of drifting. I didn't really feel like I had any focus. And I, I was really quite, the future looked bleak. You know, I was really quite desperate at this point, Yeah.
4: So it was, it was at this point that you asked God for something very specific in relation to this. What did you ask him? And this was, again, around summer 2012. The Simmons summer.
5: The Simmons summer. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, s- I suppose the way I describe it was I kind of had a rising sense of in- indignation about what I was going through. And it was around the time that mum was reading the books and having those revelations, and it was around the time that Toby was going through his struggles as well. And I kind of had this sense that yeah this isn't right you know am i accommodating something that i should be dealing with and yeah, i think medical professionals will will tell you that the only way to deal with ocd is to kind of um to kind of cope with it you know to kind of get it down to an acceptable level that um yeah it doesn't really disrupt your life too much you know it's kind of it's an issue but it doesn't really affect things too much i had a sense this wasn't right and there was one instance when i was really anxious and i couldn't see any kind of logical way through my situation. And I I just, there was like this cloud of confusion and I was being completely assailed by all these thoughts. And I I kind of just cried out to God and said, look, Lord, I'm confused. I haven't got a clue what's going on. Um, Just cut through the cloud, the cloudiness. Uh, Let me see what this is about, what this battle is about. Um, And basically God immediately did that. Um, Yeah, the clouds went away and, and I could see incredibly clearly what the root of the issue was um, and essentially I saw that the root of the issue was I was trying to control my life. You know. um, the root of this OCD was an attempt by me to grab onto the things in my life that I cared about um, and ensure that everything was going to be fine. It was, trying, it was almost bypassing God. It was saying, look, God, you know, I know you're there, but I, I can do this on my own. Um, if I behave in this way, if I, if I give in to these thoughts, Um, everything is going to be fine. And it just hit me how wrong that position was. Um, And I realized that, you know, I don't want to live in that way. I don't want to take control of my own life. You know, I want to surrender to God because essentially, like, you know, even if I could guarantee that if I did things in a certain way and I behaved in a certain way, I'd have an ideal life, whatever that means, um, I didn't want to live in that life. I don't want an ideal life that I've created for myself. Um, I only want to live a life that God has for me, whatever that involves. And it became very easy from that point to, to actually say, no, I, I'm not going to give in to these thoughts. Um, and all I can do is trust God because he will bring about the stuff that I want. Um, and so from that moment on, I, it, I want to say easy. You know, it wasn't easy, but I knew that I needed to surrender. Um, and that was how I was going to deal with the, the issue.
4: I remember that because it's such a key time because it was like you, you just saw behind mm-hmm. behind the curtain what was actually going on. And it didn't fix everything in that instant, but it was like the the enemy's disguise had been been taken. So then it was also kind of at this time that you saw that the way that you were thinking was affecting the way that you thought about other people. Just tell us a little bit about that.
5: Yeah, in the summer of 2012, I kind of it just hit me that I didn't really care about people. <laughs> um, and I was quite scared, but I was like, wow, uh, how did I get to this place of just not caring about other people? Um, and I'd realized that my anxiety, you know, my thinking had caused me to become very self-focused. Um, I was very analytical. I, I over-analysed absolutely everything. Um, and I was just caught in this kind of overanalysis analysis uh, about myself. And I realized that I just I didn't care about other people. Um, and so I kind of... I Kind of said, God, you know I need to change this. Um, show me the love you have for other people. show me um, the compassion you have for other people because I wanted to to experience that. Um, and yeah, where are we now? Um, yeah, I think I, yeah, it didn't happen um, straight away. it wasn't like an immediate change, but I feel that from that point um, God enabled me to look more outward, and he started, me to, show, started to show me his heart for other people. Um, and I realized that as I was looking outward, there was more room for God's grace to operate. Yeah. So during this time, you feel that God has been
4: equipping you. Tell us about that.
5: Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm equipped with the tools to, to deal with, with the struggle. Um, it's an ongoing battle. It's an ongoing testimony. But I've, I don't know, I've, I now think about the anxiety I have in a, a completely different way. Um, and I know that when I still struggle, it's just that my, my flesh hasn't really caught up with the reality of the situation. You know, God has set me free and I know his truth. And um, I'm, I'm walking in that in a daily basis. I think the, um, the last few months, I've never been as close to God in my entire life because literally every minute of every day, I've been surrendering to him. Um, and I've been so grateful for this opportunity that I have, although it, it, it might seem horrible at the time, um, I'm actually really grateful for this opportunity to just depend on God constantly throughout every moment of every day. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's released something in me. Um, it's, it's almost like an electric fence. You know, it's like um, if, if I feel unable to do the things that God has for me, if I feel I'm being held back by anxiety, I know that my faith isn't where it should be. Um, so I can just turn back to God. And it, it's just a very easy way of, of, um, of knowing where I am in my relationship with God. Um, yeah.
4: I, I like that line that, that, that Jeremy said. I still struggle, but that's because my flesh hasn't caught up with the reality of the situation. There's something that fundamentally changed there. And, I, and as, as Jeremy was saying, like, as, as he's beginning to, to look out, as he's beginning to, to see what God's doing in this, He's actually thankful for the situation because it's, it's a constant training. And he's not a slave to it. It's, it's a training situation for him to teach him how to know God in this way. I've never been closer to God than I am now. You want to add? Sure.
5: Um, yeah, a, a kind of passage that really, I don't know, um, resonated with me at this time was when Peter walked on the water to Jesus um, and... Essentially, Jesus commands Peter to walk, walk towards him, and Peter does what is seemingly an impossible thing. Um, now, for me, like, in my situation, something as simple as walking up the stairs could be could seem as impossible as walking on water. Um, but I realize what it means to be able to walk on water, um, because what we need to do in those situations is fix our eyes on Jesus. Um, and we were looking at this, this passage in youth, and the song that Jamie used to illustrate it was um, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I realized that, yeah, you know, this is what I need to do. The thing that enabled Peter to walk on water was his focus on Jesus, was his, you know, looking into the face of Jesus at what Jesus had done. Um, and it was only when the waves and the wind penetrated that, uh, that focus on, on the truth of, of what Jesus was able to do that he started to sink. And I realized I was able to yeah, yeah, this was the process of surrender that I was going through. As I had anxieties, as I had struggles, um, the solution was to, fo- was to look on the face of Jesus, uh, to look on the things he's done in my life, uh, the truths that I know about my relationship with him, that I am his child, um, that he loves me, uh, that he can turn any situation uh, for good. And as I did that, as I surrendered uh, my heart, um, I felt that the, the wind and the waves of thoughts that were um, hitting me from every side and compelling me to, to be trapped, um, that they, they lost significance, um, yeah. So in
4: all of this, in all of this illness, what would you say you've, you've learnt?
5: Um, I've learnt something that's, that's already been said by, um, by Toby and, and Mum. Spiritual attacks happen when we reclaim territory, which was always ours, but which we hadn't occupied up to that point. And I think it was the moment that I realized that the, what I was going through was not just some, some condition, but it was actually a spiritual attack. It was an attempt by the enemy to rob me of my purpose, uh, to derail me. Um, it was at this moment that I, I kind of had that indignation that I realized, no, this isn't something I can just brush under the carpet. This isn't something that I can accommodate. Um, and I think that was a turning point, point for me. Um, and I think it, it gave me a insight into what Toby was going through as well. I felt God had given me an understanding of where he was because actually the root of of what both me and Toby were going through uh, was exactly the same. It was both fear focused. Um, We had this intense anxiety and it was an attempt to, well, the the outcome was different. For me, it was being trapped in in these rituals. But for Toby, it was just a a sense of despair and hopelessness. Um, But actually the root was the same. And I felt that I was able to speak God's truth into Toby's life. Um, So I felt that I was strengthened in that as well. Um, I think it was Bernard who who shared that um, sometimes we go through processes of purification. Um, Yeah, we're we're in the furnace and God is, um, yeah, it feels absolutely um, difficult and painful. Um, But actually, um, we have a choice in those situations when we're going through tough times. We can either say, God, take me out of the fire um, or let me become more like you. And actually, if we go through that process, we'll emerge purified. We'll emerge more like God. Um, and I feel that God, through that process, was equipping me. I think he was instilling things in me that I could share with other people. Um, I don't believe that I went through that process for no reason. Um, and I believe that I will be completely clear of OCD. I, don't, yeah, I, I honestly believe that it won't affect my life um, because I know that, if I continue to respond in the right way, the enemy just won't have anything to, to attack me with. You know, If I continue to, to turn to God, the, the significance of that thing will break. Um, yeah.
4: That's one of the things that stuck out when Jeremy was talking to me before. I was like, God will set me free from it. This will not be holding my life for the, for the rest of my days. He will set me free, but right now, while I'm still struggling, I'm going to give God thanks because this is training me for a better life in the future. I thought, wow, that's someone that's, that's heard God on this particular thing. Now, what else would you say that you've learned about God through all of
5: this? I've learned that God is, God is faithful. Um, I've learned that God is compassionate. And I've learned that God is sovereign. You know, um, I've learned that there is nothing that I could dream up, no plan that I could dream up for my life that will ever be better than what he has for me. Um, and in that, that realization, I found just a great freedom, a great release just to step into what he has for me. Um, I've learned to trust God, uh, to trust in his plan for my life. And I've learned that he's, he's desperate for us to choose him. Um, you know, I think sometimes we get caught into thinking that, you know, walking with God is like walking a tightrope, that there's this chasm either side that we can drop into, but actually he wants us to choose him and he's, he's waiting for us to choose him. um, and I, I just, I want to be, be used by God. You know, I, I want to be the person to, to help bring his kingdom on earth and I'm ready to, to do whatever he has for me. Um, and I think that, you know, the enemy would like to make us think that the struggles we go through are some kind of punishment for stuff that we've done. Um, but actually, God allows, allows these struggles sometimes to prepare us for the purpose that he has for us.
4: I just... And you, you could spend an hour on, a, well, a thousand hours on a thousand different points that Jeremy brings up. It's so incredible, the journey that he's been on. But um, thank you very much. It was good.
2: Yeah, so um, as, as Jeremy said, um, actually, his, his struggle um, and gave him an insight into uh, you know, helping me in my struggle. Because you know I believe even in that, God, God had prepared him, him to give me wisdom and insight into how to deal with what I was going through. Um, so that was, yeah, just another case of um, God bringing good out of something that was intended to harm us. Um, and yeah, we touched upon a few different tools that, um, that can actually help us align our, our thinking with, with God's truth. One of them is um, thankfulness, being thankful in adverse situations. Another one is uh, worshipping, even when we don't feel like it. Um, there are many others, but we we don't really have time to go into them. But yeah, as I've as I've been doing this, I've, as I've been putting these tools into practice, um, I have been like gaining territory in, in in the kingdom, and I have seen like a lot of breakthrough in in my situation. And I'm I'm not the same now than you know from to what I was in that time when this this anxiety started to kick in. And, you know, God has really. Done amazing things in my life. And um, yeah, just, just the, he's given me the, the sense that, you know, when our minds are dominated by truth, um, there's no way that fear can, can do anything to us. It, it can't direct our, our thoughts or actions. But as, as our minds are fixed on his truth, fear has no hold. Um, and there's actually a passage of scripture that I want to keep passing my Bible. Um, that I want to read from, which illustrates this really well. It's Nehemiah 4. It's up on the screen. You can follow it. Um, and, yeah, a lot of you will know the story of Nehemiah. Um, it's quite a famous one. He, he was uh, commissioned to, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So these walls are in, like, a terrible state. They're just completely demolished. And many people before him have tried to rebuild these walls and they've failed. It hasn't worked. Um, but God, God commissions Nehemiah. He gives him this con- conviction to go back to Jerusalem and restore these walls. And it's just, the whole book of Nehemiah is amazing, actually. It's just a picture of how the, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and, and rebuilds our walls. Um, but what I want to focus on in particular is ne- Nehemiah's response to fear. Um, because as, as they undergo this, this task, they, come, they encounter a lot of opposition from the enemy. They, they're being taunted, they're being um, chanted at, and they're being uh, opposed. And the enemy really doesn't want this rebuilding to take place. Um, so we pick up at verse 9, where it says, So we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. And then down to th- verse 13, it says, So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I, li- I like that Nehemiah makes warfare a family activity. Because um, actually that's something we experienced as we, as we went through this. Um, through our struggles, we were actually united together as a family and strengthened. Um, so that, that really speaks to me, that verse. And then verse 14. After I looked these things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your kin, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So these people are faced with a lot of fear in, in face of the opposition. And Nehemiah's response is, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. That's his antidote to the fear. Just reminding God of, of the testimonies he's done. and not, not reminding God, sorry. Reminding ourselves of God's testimonies. Um, and and filling our minds with, with God's truth instead of focusing on the problem, focusing on the fear. And in, 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 that, in that place, the, the fear has to leave. It, it cannot stay. Um, so yeah, another thing that God's really been speaking to me about is what it means to be like a child before him. Um, and you know, Jesus says, uh, unless you become like children, we won't see the kingdom. And I've just been thinking, you know, what, what does it mean to be like a child? What does that look like practically? And, and what what, what does that mean in terms of like overcoming? And uh, we were driving, I was going back to Durham for my last term and we were driving in the car and my dad just kind of out of the blue just said something, he said, you know, as a child you, you had no fear. Um, you used to just like run after wild horses and you, you, didn't, you didn't care you know, what would happen, you just had no, no sense of you know, hesitation or, or, um, or doubt or anything. And, and God really just spoke to me and said, you know, that's how I've designed you to be, um, to be that fearless warrior, to be that person who runs after wild horses. And um, yeah, you know, the fact that children don't, um, they don't analyze, they don't rationalize, they trust without suspicion. And they, their natural position is one of joy and one of rejoicing and just complete trust and surrender. And, and I'm just really inspired to be like, be like a child and just completely surrender everything to God, and he's given me such a, a hunger to see, to see that in my life, and the sense that, you know, that, that is my inheritance, that Jesus has, has bought this for me on the cross, um, and that if I live in anything less than that, I'm living in a lie, I'm believing a lie, and that, you know, I, I can't afford to do that, that, you know, I just really want to see um, my life you know, governed by righteousness, peace, and joy, and so yeah, that's just something really that God's put on my heart in this sense that you know we're not we're not vulnerable um, because Jesus is our shepherd. And we are we're not we're not exposed, but we are we are co-labourers with God and we have authority over every everything. We have authority over how we feel, how we choose to react to things, and and one of the things God's been saying to me is, you know, um Sometimes a situation won't budge until we, we learn to hear his voice and respond in the authority that he's given us. Um, and one, one of the stories that, uh, that I love in, in the Bible is, is um, Exodus when, when Moses is about to cross the Red Sea. Um, and all the Israelites are behind him, and they've, they've just come out of Egypt, and they're about to uh, be released into the promised land that God's given them. And Moses, is, he's standing at the sea, and he says, Okay, just we'll wait for God. You know, we'll wait to see what He's gonna do, and you know, we'll pray and just just watch God. Watch what God's gonna do. And then he turns to God, and God says, "Why are you praying? Just stretch out your hand and divide the sea." Um, and there's that sense that you know, actually, we are in relationship with God, and what that means is He has given us authority over over our situations, everything. And you know, when we when we're not living in, when we're living in anything less than righteousness, peace, and joy, that you know, God's got so much more for us, and that, that is our inheritance, and that's what He's made us to live in. Um, and so, yeah, um, this idea that you know, G- when Jesus prayed, you know, "Your kingdom come, on earth is in heaven," um, you know, He really meant that. He meant everything that is in heaven. Can be experienced here on Earth right now. We don't have to wait till we, we get there, but it can be experienced now. And um, so yeah, anything that, that isn't in heaven, we don't have to put up with. So like, I had this realization that this anxiety, this fear, um, it didn't exist in heaven. So I wasn't gonna let it exist in my life. Um, and I I took authority over it. And I said, you know, God, this isn't right. I, I don't want to feel this because you don't want me to feel it. And in in that moment, you know, I've I've had such a um, experience of being strengthened in the Lord and just and just giving it all over to Him and it's it's been such a a radical change, um, yeah. And I think yeah, just that that sense that um, God God wants to see this change and and He's got so much more for us and it's our it's our inheritance and we just need to grab hold of it. Um, Peter, where's Peter? Oh yeah, Peter's gonna. Uh, lead us in a song and we're going to go from there, I don't know what
1: hidden in my heart. of